Modern life. Between careers, kids, and health, it can be mayhem. That's why we're here. I'm Dr. Lisa Varghese-Kroll. And I'm Dr. Lonre Falusi. We're physicians, moms, and longtime friends who break it all down for you. Wondering how to juggle all the balls and still stay sane? Looking for advice but don't want to be overwhelmed? Curious about how to make the most out of life for your family but enjoy it at the same time? You're in the right place. Welcome to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. On this episode, we're talking about coronavirus and kids. What's the latest data on how kids are affected by COVID-19? How can we support kids emotionally during this ongoing pandemic? And we go beyond the headlines to dive into the topic of school reopening. Hey, Lonre, how are you? Hi, Lisa. I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, trying to keep up with all the new data and recommendations for COVID and kids, right? Right. Which <laughs> it's is a full-time job. It really is. Literally is. So, But that's why I'm so glad we're doing this episode. Agreed. And, you know, it's so important and we have a lot of stuff we want to talk about. So mm-hmm. let's just jump into it. So when it comes to COVID and kids, what do the numbers look like right now? Well, in the United States, as of mid-July, about 250,000 children have tested positive for COVID-19, making up about 8% of cases in the country. And hospitalizations and deaths from COVID-19 are thankfully very uncommon in children, though of course, each one that happens is tragic. And you may have heard of a new condition that's been labeled MISC, pronounced MISC, or multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And it's rare but serious and involves inflammation of multiple organs, usually two to four weeks after becoming infected with coronavirus. There is still a lot that's unknown about MISC, but what we do know is that it can present in a number of ways. So if you are concerned about any symptoms that you're seeing in your child, then certainly call your child's doctor for guidance. Now, so far, there have been about 350 cases diagnosed in the U.S. So the bottom line with the numbers is this. Every positive test in a child is stressful for the family, and every city or state is different. But thankfully, we're not seeing nearly the same severity in children as we are in adults. So then, Lonre, as a pediatrician, what are you telling your patients and parents about the risk of kids spreading the virus? Because if kids tend not to have severe illness, then they might be doing things like spending time with grandparents or with other kids without realizing that they are COVID positive and spreading the virus. Right. So, I mean, that concern is understandable. But the good thing is that the data that we have from the U.S. and other countries is showing us that kids, especially young kids under age 10, are not spreading it to adults or to other kids with the high frequency as we see between adults, for example. So, of course, this is not to say that we should just throw caution to the wind with our kids. You know, if we really want to reduce spread and minimize risks for everyone, then we should follow those same recommendations that we shared back in episode two and are still important today. You know, kids two years old and older should wear a mask. Everyone should practice physical distancing, stay away from crowded areas, you know, sanitize your hands often and keep showing your kids how to do that as well. Right. And if you or your child is sick, then certainly stay home to avoid infecting others. You know, but of course, any parent or aunt or uncle or grandparent knows that the effects of COVID-19 in kids aren't just confined to hospitalizations or infection risk. Right. I mean, I know I've been seeing more and more kids and teens who are experiencing signs of anxiety and depression or becoming more withdrawn or even having suicidal thoughts. 
you know, young kids are struggling to understand why things are so different. And then older kids have missed some major milestones like graduations or, you know, they may have seen their parents lose their jobs or become sick themselves. It's so true. The The mental health effects of this pandemic on children cannot be overstated. Right. Because, you know, structure is part of what helps kids feel safe. So if they know that meals and play and socializing all happen at certain times of the day, then they're less anxious. And they also need stable relationships with adults and friendships with their peers and the services and education that schools provide. Um, But, you know, when those typical supports are suddenly gone, it's devastating for kids. And this even includes safety structures, things like child abuse reporting. Um, A number of states have reported a steep drop in the number of child abuse cases being reported. But that's actually not reassuring because in many of those places, the severity of children's injuries has risen secondary to physical abuse. So that means that the teachers, pediatricians, counselors and Others who are trained to spot the red flags and report signs of abuse are no longer in kids' daily lives, so this abuse can kind of um, continue unchecked. And the cases that eventually come to medical attention are often so much more serious because the case, the cues were harder to pick up on a telehealth visit or on video with distance learning. It is really frightening. And I know that many of us who care for children, whether they're our own kids or our patients or our students or our family members... You know, we're all worried that these traumatic experiences will have lifelong consequences for them. Absolutely. Yeah, but there is a lot that we can do to support kids as we all navigate these difficult and unprecedented times. You know, first, let's remember that, you know, kids take cues from their parents and the other adults around them. Even that teenager who you probably think (laughs) stopped listening to you ages ago, right? They're actually listening more than you think. You know, remind them that things are tough, but doctors and scientists are working hard to try to keep people healthy, to create a vaccine, and to find treatments for COVID. Right. And, you know, secondly, try to maintain some type of routine. Um, You know, like we were saying, this is always good advice, but it is so much more difficult now that the work home lines are completely blurred Mm -hmm. if you're working from home. And um, for essential workers, it's really tough to let go of the work stress when you do get home. But even if you just focus on routines at bedtime and mealtimes, that alone provides some structure and security to kids. I know for my family, that definitely means a schedule, even during the summer. I've learned that my kids just do so much better with a general schedule Mm -hmm. during the day. You know, mealtimes, chore times, times for summer work or screen time or outdoor time. And it's, it's got to be heavily supplemented by a personalized list of things to do when I am bored so mm-hmm. that mom doesn't lose her mind from hearing I'm bored 87 times a day. Right. Maybe it only goes down to 85 times a day, but still, that's a win. <laughs> Those are the good days, 85 times. <laughs> right. You can handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then third, you know, the third way to kind of help your kids emotionally through this time, let them know that their feelings, whether that's fear or grief or anxiety, those feelings are normal. These are, again, times that no one else has been through in recent history. So true, yeah. Yeah, absolutely no one has had to endure what we have all endured over the past five months with all of the changes. So there's no rule book for how we should respond. So encourage them to talk out their feelings with you. And maybe even it might mean that they have to you know, talk with a child psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist, um, especially if those feelings are getting in the way of being able to focus or to do daily activities or to maintain relationships. 
Um, the good thing is, you know, there's so much more telemedicine happening these days. So right. you may be able to find telemedicine options for mental health care. So you know, definitely in, we encourage you to talk to your child's doctor if you're concerned. And of course, again, there's so much more like getting adequate sleep and exercise and nutrition and limiting social media intake and taking time out for your own self as a parent. Um, And we have an upcoming episode on self-care where we will do a deep dive into those recommendations as well. Right. So stay tuned for that. Um, But, you know, the the primary topic that comes to mind when we talk about kids and COVID has to be school reopening. And, you know, it's it's such a complex discussion because there are there are many factors that people are concerned about on both sides of the debate. And the most obvious is the viral risks to kids and teachers and communities. Um, You know, will opening schools allow the virus to spread among kids who then spread it to teachers and bring it home to parents and elderly or immunocompromised family members? Uh, Particularly because this virus is so infectious, this is a legitimate question. Um, another concern is the absence of long-term data on viral expression. As a, as a species, at the time right. of this recording, we've only known about this virus for seven months. So we will not know for a generation what the long-term effects are of this disease or whether the virus will lay dormant in human bodies even after the person has apparently recovered only to become active again later in life. And there are also valid concerns about the adequacy of school ventilation, since many school buildings are older, and the ability to fully deep clean the school environment if that task falls to teachers, who we know are already stretched thin. And there are concerns about how well staff will be able to enforce kids keeping masks on and following social distancing protocols. And socialization is another big concern for parents, whether kids on campus will have adequate social interactions in the environment of social distancing when they won't be able to be in close proximity to each other or share toys or equipment. And conversely, whether kids who are distance learning will suffer long-term effects from the absence of socialization. Mm -hmm. And then there are educational concerns about whether distance learning for long periods of time can really make up for the absence of in-person learning, especially for younger children. Um, Another serious issue is that distance learning can exacerbate existing inequities because of unequal access to Wi-Fi and devices across class lines. So if lower income children are already struggling because of under-resourced schools, how much worse will things be if they now have no school and no internet service at home to even keep up virtually? And additionally, as we've all either heard or personally experienced, Distance learning is incredibly challenging for working parents Mm -hmm. who either can't physically be at home or who, even if they are teleworking from home, need to actually work and can't supervise or teach their kids all day. I mean, if it was possible to work from home and teach your kids and do both well, there would be no need for schools at all. Absolutely. (laughs) So it's no it's no wonder it's an impossible task. Um, And and finally, distance learning can deprive kids for whom school is a source of food or safety from abuse, as we talked about, um, and kids who need special education services that are best received in person. So bottom line, school is so much more than education and getting access to quality and safe education and nutrition and socialization and other services. It's complicated. So true. It is so complicated. And, you know, every family, every community has to make their own decisions, you know, based on all of those factors. And to help with that, you you all may have seen the guidance from the American Academy of Pediatrics, which states, and I'm quoting here, the AAP strongly advocates that all policy considerations for the coming school year should start with a goal of having students physically present in school 
And that guidance has several recommendations on steps that schools and parents can take to do this as safely as possible. And this guidance and other statements that have come out um, are also clear that it's, again, not a one-size-fits-all approach. Right. right. I think that's so important. So important. And communities with significant outbreaks may not be able to open right away or, or for months even. And physically going to school may be too risky for children with certain medical conditions. You know, the CDC recently came out with new guidelines that in some parts are a little bit more liberal about reopening. Um, but they have created a graphic to help schools determine if it's safe to reopen. And if you're curious about what school districts around the country are doing around reopening in person versus distance learning, a lot of state departments of education um, in the United States have their own online trackers. Uh, Johns Hopkins University also has an initiative called Equity School Plus that tracks and analyzes school reopening plans from each U.S. state. And we'll add that link to the show notes. So Those can be really helpful resources, but we know that the question on everyone's mind really is, what can you do as a parent when you want to keep your child healthy and don't want to inadvertently bring a potentially deadly virus into your home, and yet distance learning has its own risks and its own challenges with kids who struggle to learn that way or feel isolated or or miss out on services. And there really is no great option for kids, parents, and teachers. So given that, uh, here's our perspective. Our perspective is that reasonable people can make different choices. The ideal situation is for parents to have options, distance learning or in-person, where it is safe. Exactly. You know, but as we know, unfortunately, it's the more privileged families who have a choice. Uh, Mm -hmm. Typically, it's private schools that are more likely to offer options for either in-person or distance learning, where public schools may not be able to provide both. And, you know, we're also seeing families come up with other ways to augment their child's distance learning um, by hiring private tutors. Some some families are forming pods or micro schools where maybe three or four families come together in one home each day with a paid private teacher either for homeschooling or to help supervise distance learning. And we know that these parents, all parents, are trying to do the best for their children. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, we're all just trying our best, right, to survive. Um, you know, but we are also really concerned about what this means for those kids whose parents don't have a choice. And a parent has to maybe leave their job, you know, to help her elementary school child with distance learning, or a kid whose parents can't afford private tutors. And yet that same student has to compete with classmates who have more resources. Right. And, right. Unfortunately, you know, children in poverty and in communities of color, particularly Black, Latino, and Indigenous children have disproportionately suffered after schools closed. And then the paradox is, yet if schools reopen, those same communities are also at highest risk of becoming sicker with COVID, just due to years of institutional racism and other systemic issues, even within our own healthcare system. So with all of that, what's our advice First, you know, let's just not shame one another for making decisions when we're all in an impossible situation, you know, but also consider how your decisions may actually worsen the inequities that already exist in our school systems. You know, maybe can your pod be inclusive of a child who otherwise could not afford a private teacher? Or are there ways to support schools who will be struggling even more when some parents pull the resources out? You know, so we'll provide some ideas in just a moment in our hack of the week. Absolutely. And, you know, how do we keep our kids safe in either scenario? Well, if they're back in school in person, make sure to look for communication from the school district about their strategy. 
The reality is that even in-person school should not look like the old normal. You should expect to see the school share their plans for things like, one, mandates for face coverings for everyone in the school building, two, how they plan to physically distance kids, are they using staggered schedules, keeping desks at least three to six feet apart, eating lunch in the classroom, Three, what the plan is for ventilation. Is it an older building that needs upgrades? Can they keep windows and doors open? And four, how detailed is the sanitation plan to ensure that surfaces um, are actually cleaned several times a day? And another thing that we have not seen discussed enough is what is the plan if there's a COVID positive case in your child's classroom or in another part of the school? At what point do you as a parent need to have a backup plan if your child has to isolate for 10 to 14 days or if the entire school ends up switching completely to distance learning. Right. There's great questions. And those are also good things to consider if you're creating a pod with a private teacher or a co-op where maybe the parents are sharing the responsibilities for teaching and supervision. You know, are all of the families committed to wearing masks and physical distancing and hand hygiene? Exactly. I think it's so easy to forget that if we're thinking about microschooling or our own little bubble, mm-hmm. that those things are just as important to hash out ahead of time as if, you know, you were going to regular school. And, you know, try to come to decisions. If, if that is the path you'll be pursuing, try to come to decisions about how small you'll keep your, your circle. Um, for example, will everyone involved agree to not attend large gatherings on the weekends in order to reduce the risk of bringing COVID into the pod or microschool or co-op? And if you want to pursue a pod or a microschool, make sure that you check out the legal requirements for that kind of learning in your jurisdiction first. Right. And if your child is in a school with full distance learning or a hybrid model where they're part in school and part online, you know, you'll want to know what the expectations are for your child to join the classes live versus being able to follow along with the recording at a later time. You know, what supports are available through the school if your child struggles and that's always good to know before you might need it. And if Absolutely. you can't, right, if you can't walk into the school and talk to the guidance counselor, then what are your options for communicating your concerns? You should also expect to see a plan that includes how the school will provide those services we mentioned earlier. You know, how will kids receive special education services or mental health therapy that they typically received in school? Or for kids who depend on school for nutrition, is there meal pickup at convenient times and places? And even if your children don't use those services, we can all support one another in this by asking those questions of our schools and expecting to get some reasonable responses. That is so true. I think that is such a key point. Um, If anything, you know, events over the past few months have shown us that we really all need to speak up for inequities, um, whether they affect us or not. It's kind of the only way to bring about large scale change. So so where do we go from here? Well, you know, many other countries were able to safely reopen schools because their national policies enabled them to get COVID under better control. So that's why we see health professionals in the U.S. encouraging mask wearing and advocating for more testing, contact tracing and other public health measures. All of that is an effort to control COVID as part of any school reopening plan. And we also need to continue pushing for better funding for schools, uh, you know, even after this is over. And we need to seriously be rethinking how schools are funded. Uh, when we when we know that decades of segregationist policies have determined where certain people can live in this country, does it still make sense that schools are funded largely by property taxes? Um, and, you know, ultimately, it's so important for us not to vilify school systems that feel that they need to close for safety. 
but rather to support all schools. 100%. Yep. And ultimately, the takeaway that we want to emphasize is that whatever parents decide for their own children, we must think about how that decision will impact those around us. So will on-campus learning increase the risk of viral spread? You know, will distance learning take away resources from those who need it the most? And then, you know, depending on whatever your choice is or whatever options are available to you, then look for ways that you can mitigate those effects. So true. And, and that is really a good segue to our Physician Mom Life Hack of the Week, because this hack is less about how to make something easier in your own life, but more on how we can make things easier for the kids and communities around us. Now, a lot of people are asking how they can support schools and under-resourced communities who will need support even with distance learning. So our advice is first to check with the local school districts in your town or state. Many of them have set up websites for donations of money or supplies. And you can also search for a specific county or school or teacher on websites like adoptaclassroom.org or donorschoose.org. And we'll put those links in the show notes. And as we say in our podcast tagline, there, there really is an unbreakable thread that connects us all. And if we want this country and this world to be a better place, we must invest in children. While we advocate for that on the policy level, let's also do what we can on a personal level. Exactly. There is that unbreakable thread. And, you know, what affects one child really affects all of us as we think about the future of our country and our world. So with that, thank you all for listening. Um, just a friendly reminder, you can follow us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Um, we'd love if you would review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we would be forever grateful if you share it with a friend or two. Yes, we would. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Health at Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Remember that all views expressed here are our own, not our employers. And all content is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice, nor the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship. Always consult your own physician or healthcare team for any medical issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check out our website at www.hippocratichosts.com for show notes on this and all our episodes. Can't wait to chat with you next time.